I'm Phil Spitek, 360 Creative Coach, and welcome to my vlog, where it's both my mission and my pleasure to highlight my creative journey in hopes of giving you inspiration, specific takeaway, all that way your creative journey can be at least a little bit easier. Now, this past week has been a kaleidoscope of things happening. But before I fully get into everything, I would like to take the opportunity to invite you to subscribe if you haven't already, that we get all the various lessons and episodes that I put out right when I put them out. Thank you if you just did, and thank you if you already were. It truly does mean a lot to me, as I hope it does to you. So, you know, one of the sort of big announcements that people, uh, certainly directly in my life, has been, have been asking is how they can see my latest full-length film, uh, you know, at, at wherever they're at, right? Uh, so the film is called A Bogota Trip, and the good news is until October 2nd, it is available to stream as part of the uh, Liftoff Global Film Festival. That's right. It's, uh, it's a great festival for first-time and second-time directors, which I am a second-time director, and they really champion indie films. Um, I had a great experience with them for Love Market. And now, you know, uh, with this one I submitted to them, it's in. And so it is available until October 2nd. So that means wherever you are, you know, whether you're my friends in Boston, Nashville, Chicago, you know, Columbia, wherever in the world you may be, you have access to view this movie. So the link for that is down in the description. If you, or you can just type in tinyurl.com slash Bogota Trip Movie. And that'll take you to a checkout page, right? And it's $12 and that gives you access to all the films within that festival. So once you fill out you know, the payment page, you'll get a link and you'll have access to it all. Now, in terms of the listing, you'll have to scroll down. You'll know what I mean once you do it. Um, we are movie number 17. Uh, so, you know, you can click that and watch A Bogota Trip. Now, you're also welcome to watch all the other movies there too, right? I'm going to check out some of, uh, some of the other ones. I kind of just click through the descriptions of the various ones, and they seem, you know, very promising. So um, lots of good stuff there that I look forward to, as should you, but certainly, um, you know, check out a Bogota trip if that's of interest. And there will be a voting component later on uh, down the line. So, you know, check your inbox once you sign up for that festival to watch all those movies. It'll give you instructions on how to properly vote. So I hope you vote for us. A big theme of this past week has been movies in general, right? Um, we, in fact, had our second in-person screening for a Bogota trip as part of the Independent Filmmakers Showcase. And I guess just taking a quick step back, if you're unfamiliar with what the hell a Bogota trip is, um, well, it's my second feature film, as I mentioned, and it's about two sets of American tourists, one being a bachelorette party, one being a group of guys. They bump into each other, and it's a will-they-won't-they they type of story. But of course, if they, you know, proceed romantically, it could spell disaster for them back home. So that's kind of what it is in a nutshell, right? Um, if you love movies such as Before Sunrise by Richard Linklater or, you know, Happy Together from Wong Kar Wai, 
um, you know, or Vicky Cristina Barcelona, Parallel Mothers. You know, these are sort of in the same tone um, as as this movie, right? So, um, yeah, we had our second screening, and you know, it was. It was a good turnout. Um, you know, we, we got a time slot of essentially 11 a.m. on Friday morning. So, you know, 11 a.m. on Labor Day weekend um, on Friday, not the best time slot. But, you know, one of those interesting things that uh, we had quite a good number of people show up. Um, and it's always one of those things that just reiterates to me uh, the idea that Stop trying to chase numbers, right? And accept the people that showed up because, you know, we had, let's say, about 25 people. But if I was like, oh, I really wish we had at least 30 or 40, whatever it may be, it, without knowing it, you essentially discredit the people that did show up, right? It's like, oh, so you've just reduced me down to a number. Um, and in many ways, by having that smaller number, it was awesome because with the first screening, um, you know, our premiere, we pretty much packed the house and it was great. It was fantastic. But, uh, you know, I, I didn't get that sort of FaceTime afterwards, you know, it was all like, Hey, congrats, really, uh, you know, job well done type of thing. And you move on to other people because you're trying to, you know, acknowledge everyone for coming. Whereas here we could go essentially a little bit deeper and, you know, people were, telling me unprompted like what really resonated with them and why they loved it and it was just great to see so there's benefits to both um i think and you know my goal with this movie in terms of its festival run was just to get some face time with people right because i love market which was my first movie it did well but that was during the pandemic where everything was virtual and although it won awards it, it feels disconnected right because you just get this email of like people enjoy your movie and it's like that's great but you know i never got to see their reactions whereas here you know in the two times that we've screened it uh it really was fantastic to to see those people now i will say what's interesting about just life in general right don miguel ruiz who wrote the voice of knowledge and the four agreements um, the Four Agreements being the more popular of his works, but I think, you know, The Voice of Knowledge is actually the best. Uh, anyway, you know, one of the agreements that he talks about is be impeccable with your work, right? And it's interesting how, to you know, well-intentioned people can be, uh, and yet they aren't impe- impeccable with their word. And what I mean by this is, in this instance, right, there was so many people that said, I will be there, um, and unfortunately weren't, right? Now, am I upset by that? No. Um, it's just interesting to me that, that people aren't essentially impeccable with their word because, you know, I sort of look at it, and I could see a world where I or somebody else, like if, if you know, if you tell somebody you're going to be there and then you're not, you know, you've set up an expectation and then there's this appointment, right? Which is why for me, I, I do try to be, have my words really mean something. Like when I say I'm going to do something, I, I, do, I do everything I can to deliver. 
uh, and you know, just in general, like just the honesty of like, you know, if I can't make something, letting them know, like, hey, I really wish I could be there. I'm so sorry, I can't. Right, um, and I think more than ever, people have recognized that within me because I have been. You know, if I say I'm going to go see someone's show, whatever, I do show up, right? Or sometimes I don't even say anything and I just show up there and they're like, oh, wow, you came to support. And yeah, it's a a big component that I don't think enough of us lean on is to be able to support our friends, you know? And yes, we'll hide behind the idea that, oh, I've got too much going on. I've got to work on my stuff. I've got to focus on my stuff. But we really, all of us need a community of support because eventually when you do finish that project, who's going to come out to see it if, if you haven't built that with people in your life, right? And that's why I knew, without sounding arrogant, that at the premiere we could sell out because I knew I'd been there for a lot of people and I know there was enough curiosity, uh, and you know they wanted to see. It, they weren't. They, partly they were doing me a favor, but also they weren't because they knew that the work of myself and everyone else involved—it's not just me—you uh, know—would be up to a good standard, right? There's there's a bar that I've always set, and I, uh, people recognize that, right? Um, because. You know, to get people to come out to any one of your things is a very difficult thing. It really is. You know, I one of the things I looked at as part of the the festival, I, I came to see some other movies. This was on Saturday, and you know, more of a prime time slots. And you know, for all intents and purposes, there were some screenings where we had more people at our 11 a.m. slot than they did. Now, some of them were from out of town. You know, like. What's nice is that we're like local, you know, we're, I'm LA based and this was an LA film festival in downtown LA. So, you know, I have people here, whereas, you know, if, uh, let's say I went to play in Nashville where my friend Jonathan Moulton lives, uh, you know, we'd get his family and things like that. Could we pack the house? Probably not. Right. Um, it's not my home turf if using a sports term, um, but still, you know, um, it's just kind of interesting um, in that sense to, to think about. Um, and all the more reason why, you know, for me, so what had happened was on Saturday night, there was a red carpet event. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll go. Um, and I decided to go a little bit earlier so, you know, I could check out some movies do the red carpet thing and then, you know, possibly go home. And so I went there and, you know, managed to get in right at the start of this movie called Burn Me Twice. And it was, it was fantastic. You know, um, it's a movie, think of like film noir meets zombies done in the style of like Sin City or uh, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow, if you're familiar with that movie. And for me, that's definitely my jam. And it was, it was a lot of fun, right? 
And again, I, I, you know, just hearing the director talk about it, like it took him five years to you know, animate everything after filming it and so forth. So this was like a big coming out party for them. And so I wanted them to know like, hey, I, I really enjoyed your movie. It's almost that sort of thing of if you see some, something, say something, but not in a you know, New York subway sort of style, but more in the sense how you know, people advise that in life, if you're thinking about somebody, text them like, hey, I miss you. Or as my friend Ian Kaiser always does, whenever he ends a phone call, he always says, I love you, buddy. And he does it with everybody because you, know, you just never know how life goes. And he wants the last thing um, that he said, if anything should go awry, to be something positive, even if, you know, um, we were in the middle of like a heated argument about, uh, you know, the rehearsal and Nathan Fielder or whatever. Right. And that's what I appreciate about him. So it it kind of speaks to that aspect of it. Um, because, you know, as indie filmmakers, these moments are so few and far between again, five years for this guy to, you know, just do the post-production on this movie. It's a hell of a long time. Right. Um, and not just time, that's, that's a hell of a lot of effort. Um, and, and it's all there on screen. But yeah, damn, you know? Um, so it's like to, to get this like two-hour screening and then maybe, you, you know, just like a five minutes worth of a Q&A or something like that. It's like, you know, I mean, in many ways... As the artist, you have to really love the process because that's all you're really probably going to get. B, when you do get those moments, really enjoy them, you know? And after this movie, Bury Me Twice, um, I went to the red carpet. um, And then, you know, through that sort of press line, if you will, I met um, the team behind 25 cents per minute. And, you know, I started talking with them and they were like, it's actually quite serendipitous because, you know, they were having the red carpet now and, and our world premiere is, you know, in like 20 minutes. It's like, oh, okay, cool. Um, and again, just another opportunity to be impeccable with my word. Uh, you know, I was like, yeah, I'll go. Um, I was like, and I think, again, I think so many people are just used to hearing that, but it's just. It's just words, right? You know, the, the, the talk doesn't match the walk, so to speak. And but I was like, no, I'm going to, you know, uh, I, I did kind of say it blindly. But then I was like, you know what? No, I, I said it. So now I have to hold myself accountable and go. And I'm glad I did because it's an anthology film about people in L.A. Uh, the through line is they all use payphones, the last remaining payphones in L.A., it's kind of like a love letter um, to Los Angeles and uh, its beautiful vignettes that ultimately weave together through this tapestry to create a beautiful story with a with a really good core message. And you know, in some ways, it reminded me of my first film, Love Market, because you know that, in a sense, is is also a love letter to LA. You know, that's film, filmed primarily in Grand Central Market. And I always knew. I wanted to have Grand Central Market as a hub for characters to come in and out. Um, it's less of an anthology film, but, you know, still, I, I, I was really moved by the project. Um, 
And it was, uh, as I understand it, it was the director's first film. Really well done, right? Really, really well done. Now, the thing of it was, the movie ends, the lights don't come on, and they were expecting to do a Q&A, but they never had that opportunity. And it's kind of interesting, you know, in that sense, again, just how quickly this stuff all goes. I remember in our premiere, the lights didn't come on, but I wasn't going to, like, not have a Q&A. I mean, we, we essentially packed the house, and so, you know, I invited the cast and crew up with me. And even in the dark, we were going to have a Q&A. And then eventually the lights did come on, which, by the way, you can watch that Q&A on YouTube as well. Uh, but it does make me feel sad because, you know, that team never got that moment. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things. Uh, you can't really blame the film festivals for that. A lot of the, the ones that, you know, uh, first-time filmmakers and people that don't have star talent... Um, can get into, you know, they're understaffed, really. And they're running around and doing the best that they can. And in many ways, they're at the mercy of these theaters who it's not their regular routine to, you know, do X, Y, and Z. Which for us, like, you know, the disappointing thing of it all was there were requirements for this film festival to have a 4K version of the movie and... You know, that's a very specific, like, format. It's not just, like, a, a file that you would upload to YouTube or something like that. It has to be on a hard drive, acceptable for, uh, for theaters, right? It's called the digital cinema package, and the hard drive is not one that many people have heard of. And it's in a format that, you know, you have to go to a specialist to create. So it costs money. It costs good money, especially for a 4K version and so forth. Uh, but we did it, you know, knowing that this was going to be our master version and, uh, you know, we would want to take it to other festivals, but it was going to be like, yeah, great. This is going to be projected in beautiful 4K. Well, because we were literally the, the first screening of the day, like they literally opened up shop <laughs> right before, you know, as, as essentially we were supposed to start playing, that, you know, my understanding is that the the theater wasn't ready, and so rather than, like, take the time and then eventually bleed into other screenings, they essentially just played a backup of the movie, which, let's just say, wasn't 4K, right? And while it sounds like, I'm, like for me, everyone did enjoy the movie, and I think that's the testament of, of a good movie, is that in spite of whatever flaws they may, may be, um, that people enjoy it, but... There's a side of you, um, or at least for me, that it's like you just work so hard and, and, and it costs you all this money and, and this is essentially what you're getting. And again, it's less like it's both a personal thing, but I also don't want it for other people. Again, that's why I talked about you know, 25 cents per minute. Beautiful, beautiful film. And it was their premiere and they didn't get a Q&A. It's like, it's just all this work for just these tiny moments. And even though, like, you're at the mercy of just something else completely. 
and you can't, as I said, you can't necessarily blame anybody. Um, it just kind of is what it is. But doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, right? And that's what sucks about it. And I really wish, you know, there was a little bit more fanfare um, for stuff like this. I really do, you know, just seeing what's happening in Venice, the, the Venice Film Festival and Telluride, like, you know, these, you know, like, 10-minute standing ovations or whatever, like, if we had a 10-minute standing ovation for us, we wouldn't have gotten a Q&A because that was all basically the time we had for a Q&A, right? So it's just, you know, just very interesting, um, all this, and that's why I knew for when we had our premiere, it was just the idea, like, listen, COVID could, who knows, right? COVID could re-hit tomorrow. This could be, like, the only time we play in front of people, um, let's just, let's just go for it, right? So we, there was a red carpet. I got our own sort of host to interview the cast beforehand, you know, and film the Q&A and stuff like that because I wanted it to feel truly special. And in spite of whatever may have come, I was going to make it the best that it was ever going to be. And that was awesome. It really was that. So... You know, if nothing else, just another example of how, sadly, as an indie artist, you got to take control uh, of, of your own efforts, you know? Um, and it sucks, especially, like, it's such a grind to get a movie over the finish line. And yet, <laughs> you know, you still got to keep going. You got you to be the one to market it. You got to be the one to get it out there. Um, but when you embrace that, it just is what it is, and, and you can lean into it and still get people, to, you know, 25 people to show up at 11 a.m. on a Friday of Labor Day weekend when most people have gone out of town, right? Or still at work. So, yeah, that, um, in that sense, uh, just a lot of those movies. Um, also, to wrap up, like, Let's call it the movie portion, um, the movie viewing uh, aspect of all of it. I also saw Beast, the one of two Idris Elba movies out. This one is about um, him in Africa with his family, and it was a, I really enjoyed it. It was a really good movie, um, very well paced. You know, not long at all. Um, I also saw the the latest Dragon Ball movie. I, I enjoyed that. Um, I think you have to be a Dragon Ball fan to, to really enjoy it, so it's not for everybody, but I am and I did. And then 3,000 Years of Longing, which is George Miller's latest film, George Miller being the director of Mad Max Fury Road. 3,000 Years of Longing, the trailers made it look good, but it just didn't hit for me, um, unfortunately, so I didn't enjoy that. And then at the start of the week, I saw The Invitation, which was looked like a ready-or-not type of horror film, and sadly, it just it just never got going, um, at least for me, right? So, a lot of movies were seen this, this past week. Um, likewise, you know, let's get into the sort of nitty-gritty. So, with a Bogota trip, you know, the, the, the phase that I'm at is giving deliverables to um, the next phase of things, which is distribution, right? And so as part of all of this, 
you know, you, one needs to create subtitles, captions, um, have screenshots and other materials, right? And it's a very laborious process that, you know, even as someone within the film industry, right, when I consume TV and every now and then I put on the captions, um, or sometimes I have to because it's a foreign language movie, it's a side that we don't even think about. I was going to say we, we underappreciate, but I don't think we even think about, right? It's no different than a book translation, right? You take someone like Gabriel Garcia Marquez or Franz Kafka, you know, that the original works were written in different languages, and yet they're hits here in the U.S., and it's like, well, why? Because of the translations, right? They, those works had to be translated to work for, you know, English-speaking audiences. And if someone didn't give a crap, yeah, it has the potential to ruin it. It's not as simple as just running it through, you know, nowadays like Google Translate or whatever and, and getting something back. Um, especially if it's comedic in nature, you have to account for that. And so it's been a really interesting process for me. And I'll, I'll do a separate video about this, like walking you through the step by steps. But really, the process for me was take the dialogue track, throw it in uh, automated transcription service, and there's plenty of them. Get that back, and you can spit out a, a subtitle um, file, and then, you know, essentially revise that within the editing program, right? Because it, it would get me close enough. Now it wasn't starting from scratch. It had rough timing. It had the, the rough semblance of what was said, but now I could finesse it in terms of the English language. And so a lot of time spent on that and, you know, just making sure that, as I said, it, it flows, right? That it's just not, it's not an afterthought that really the people who would need captions and subtitles that, you know, that they would get to enjoy the movie no different than anybody else, right? Uh, also, you know, as part of the marketing for the movie, you know, just grabbing screenshots and things of that nature. And um, it's been a really interesting exercise seeing the movie through this new perspective of, you know, essentially through the subtitling, you're, you're just like specifically listening for dialogue. So like you're honed in on, on, on a level that you haven't been before, right? And it's a very start and start process. As far as screenshots, you know, I essentially watched the movie from start to finish just visually, right? I turned off the audio just visually, and if I saw something that I, that I liked, then I paused and grabbed it. And it was great to get feedback from the marketing team saying, you know, I pulled some really dynamic shots. And that's good because I essentially had to pull 50 of these, right? Which 50 is a, is a large number, you know, ultimately it's more than they would ever need, but, um, you know, they want to have options and be able to choose for themselves. And, um, you know, it's, it, it's interesting as well, because a lot of times people say, you know, a filmmaker shouldn't, you know, do his own trailer or do, do his own marketing, things like that. And I don't think I necessarily agree. Um, I don't know. I think, I think part of it depends on 
you know, knowing yourself and knowing your abilities. But there's just a side to it. Like, you know, I think when it, like, for example, with screenshots, I just, I just think when you, you know the movie, you know you're going to pick the better moments than someone perhaps going into it because, you know, just, you know, through no fault of their own, you know, they're not as familiar with the movie. And like all of us, we're really pressed for time. And so, you know, you're just going to be like, okay, cool. You know, the movie's 90 minutes. I'm going to dedicate two hours to pulling screenshots, whatever, right? Whereas for me, I, I think I literally pulled in like four or five hours. Like, it took a while, you know? I, I really made sure, like, as I was going through it, and, and it's a process to, you know, start and stop and, and pull those moments and make sure that, you know, you're getting the best one, you know, like you're literally nitpicking the frame of like, okay, one frame over, one of the characters is slightly out of focus, whereas if I go one frame forward, everyone's in focus, okay, cool, let me get that one, Um, you know, or in the case of me, a lot of the shots are, involve five people, so it's like, okay, this shot right here looks good for, you know, two out of the three, and because of the nature of the scene, you know, the other two are kind of turned away, and it's not as dynamic of a, you know, image, um, it makes sense in the movie and, and so forth, but within, like, just a printout, you know, it's, could be better, right, so a lot of precision went into it, right, and it was something that I was talking about with my friend Jeff Graham, like, you know, just, you want what represents the movie in the best way, and, um, a lot of times, like, directing just comes down to taste, you know, and, and people, it's interesting how many people think they have taste, um, but when push comes to shove, you know, um, it's interesting what they come up with. And again, it could just be, you know, the simplicity of time is not on their side, but, um, you know, because that's an added benefit to me. Like, I know the movie backwards and forwards, you know, whereas they don't. So, now... One of my goals also this past week was to just start production on the short film that I've not necessarily been putting off because, you know, I've had a lot to deal with in terms of Bogota trip, uh, promoting it, as well as deliverables, as I talked about with the subtitles. But, you know, as that winds down, I wanted to get into the flow of this short film project that it's essentially a parody um, and just is going to be a lot of fun to create. And so in September, I want to just get production wrapped and then work on it in October and November and yada, yada, right? And get it finished up. Well, it was quite serendipitous because my friend Megan Lynn, she uh, flew into town and she's someone, she's a journalist as well as an actress and she's just doing phenomenal stuff um, already in spite of her young age. And so you know, uh, it, it was just serendipitous that um, I was like, "All right, yeah, let's uh, let's film this thing." She had to she had to film an audition for herself. I was like, "All right, well, you know, you can use my stuff to film your audition, and since we're going to be together, you know, let's essentially film uh, a, a few of the shots for uh, my film." Now, the shots themselves, like, it's a very uh, it won't make sense without knowing the script, and I don't want to give the script away, but. Um, there's a lot of, you know, specific shots that go into it, much like, you know, Sin City was made where, uh, it was all shot against green screen and even more, and then everything was placed in, but even more so than that, a lot of times, uh, you know, 
the two actors interacting with a scene weren't even on set at the same time. So it's kind of in that same style, right? And so when you do something like that, having done this, you need to be very specific. You need to have it very well planned out. Um, And when you shoot, you know, you only get the specific stuff that you really need. So, you know, an angle of this line, an angle of this line, you know, blah, blah, blah. And when you do it like that, uh, I don't know, for me, it's always been a little bit jarring because it ends up being so quick. And it's like, I guess that's it, right? Like you almost feel not imposter syndrome, but this weird sense of like, well, did I get everything? I know I, I know I technically did. Like literally I have everything mapped out. I've checked it off. But do I have it, right? Because it's so piecemealed. And it's so quick, right? It just it, it, blink and you'll miss it type of thing. And, you know, even just from their perspective, it's like, did we get everything? And it's like, yeah. And, and there's a lot of trust that is, you know, put on their part that this will work out, right? But it does. It just takes time, you know? It's similar to, as I was talking about at, at the Independent Filmmaker Showcase, the film Burying Me Twice, it was done in that same sort of way, which... It's just weird to film, you know, because you're literally acting against nothing and everything is, you know, added in later. And yet it does work, right? Like people have proven it works and, and, the, and the result can be amazing and beautiful. But you just have to, yeah, it's kooky in the moment and it's, it's weird. Um, so especially for someone for me, like I know it's possible and I've done it enough times but at the same time, my training is in documentary filmmaking. And so you're filming like what is, especially in that moment. <laughs> and um, Yeah, so it's, it's just a different beast ultimately. Um, so I, I filmed with Megan and then also a friend, uh, I filmed with my friend Lucia. Um, and so it was good to kind of kick that off. Now, just very simple shots. Um, the bulk of what we need is... You know, going to be done a little bit later, but um, but I'm excited. You know, at least it, it got the ball rolling, um, and so we're gonna you know continue on that way. Um, the other sort of thing at the, at the at the start of the week, and in fact, last last weekend, um, I took a cooking class. Um, you know, this was with Chef Piet, who won uh, Next Level Chef, and um, you know, it's interesting. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm more trying to get out and do stuff that I normally wouldn't do. And so a cooking class certainly falls into that. Uh, and it was done at La Plaza Cocina, which I never heard of, but apparently in downtown LA, they, they do all kinds of cooking classes there. And, you know, it's just great to sort of see. And I think, you know, moments like that are important for all artists because you know, part of it is you have to tear yourself out from your day-to-day routine um, and see what, what life exists out there. So that way you're, what you create is infused with that. Right. Uh, And just appreciate the beauty around you in all the ways. Right. So it was, that was a fun thing to get to do. Um, And sort of a big, 
thing this um I went to um to therapy this weekend and it was like the culmination of just all the work that I've been doing to sort of lead up to the moment right of you know what's preventing you essentially from being present and you know you any awakening or enlightenment or self-help that whatever you want to call it is a journey right and has to be seen as that. Like you're not going to cure yourself overnight, um, no matter what the best therapists, what the best tools. Like it's just, it, it, it took a while to, you know, essentially poison the well. And so it's going to take a while to, to weed through all that. But, you know, a great breakthrough um, in this past session, which is about like what is preventing you from staying present. And really what it all comes down to for us, like a major unlock is that we essentially don't have unconditional self-love. You know, how many times do we consider ourselves like I'm a piece of shit or imposter syndrome or I'm not good enough or, you know, I need to prove myself to somebody, all this stuff, right? Instead of believing like I am enough. And so our love for ourselves is conditional. And when you can accept unconditional self-love, then you can, you can start to be fully present. And it's interesting because, you know, part of what prevents us from that is, is our beliefs. Now, we think it's the thoughts, and we think if we just change the thought or catch the thought. You know, some people say, you know, to be present, you got to just, like, catch your thought. And yes, that's one thing, but when you catch the thought, you have to go a little bit deeper with that and and see what the underlying belief system is. Because, you know, the fact of the matter is our thoughts don't create our beliefs. Our beliefs create our thoughts. Now, that might sound like a banal platitude, but really, it's much deeper than that. What it gets at is we've adopted, you know, this, these operate, these operating systems, right? Um, we've altered how we function based on our belief system. You know, even something as simple as Rene Descartes, I think, therefore I am, while well-intentioned, admit, submits to a false belief. I think, therefore I am. So then, you know, you, that in itself makes one believe, okay, my thoughts are real. And that is what makes me real. And it's like, no, I am consciousness, therefore I am, right? A very a seemingly subtle difference, but with major implications. And when people say words matter, they do. Because what we inherently believe is what literally dictates our life. I want to write this book called Why Am I Licking the Lamppost? And the reason it's called that is because if we saw someone licking lamppost, we would look at them and like, something must be up with them. And yet, in life, there's a lot of times we feel or know that, you know, we keep repeating negative patterns, but we don't know why, right? We're, we're, it's a metaphor, like we, we are ourselves licking lamppost, and we don't know why. Well, the why of it all is the beliefs within us. And as Diedrich Walzak would say, we get to choose again, right? 
And how you get to that is through exploration, questioning, and so forth. And it's, it's very deep work, and it is work, but it's possible. Um, and when you can start to do that, that's where you can get to that phase of it all where you realize, wow, you know, um, how can I be present when I don't love myself unconditionally? And why don't I love myself unconditionally, right? These are all very interesting things. And, um, you know, one of, one of the deeper truths is, you know, another aspect of it all is this belief that I have to be right, you know? I mean, it's David Foster Wallace in This Is Water talks about this deep, un- unspoken, insidious truth that we believe we're the center of our universe, after all, every experience we've had, as he states, is experienced through our own viewpoint, right? And it just reinforces that, you know, our own immediate needs and wants and desires. Other people's thoughts have to be communicated to us, you know? And it's weird how that can take place. And then, yeah, you know, we, we, we fear um, the unknown, we, we fear anything because, God forbid, we're not right, you know? And, yeah, it's just, it's just very fascinating um, to have essentially gone down that path and, and had these revelations and then see things from a different perspective, right? Because the fact of the matter is, like, you know, I think a lot of this stuff works in tandem, but even so, you, you have to pursue it. That's why I call myself a 360 creative coach because I try to pursue all these at once, which some people are like, wait, you got to just focus on one thing. And it's like, it's like, no, it's all part and parcel of it all. Because here's an example, right? Many will try to cure themselves through their diets and exercise. And listen, that's not wrong. You should do that. But again, if there's this like deep belief working against you, <coughs> excuse me, how can you? Uh, how can you break through that operating system? You know, just purely doing that. And the interesting part that I found, you know, now by by pre- being present alone, like you extend your life because you know you're going to be more conscious in every single moment, as opposed to like this zombie, right? This proverbial zombie uh, sleepwalking through life. So that already extends your life, regardless of you know, diet and anything else. Now, the beautiful part as I'm, as I'm experiencing it is by having that unconditional self-love, you start to realize of like, yeah, why would I, you know, put crap in my body or do X, Y, and Z, right? So it's, it's just a beast that essentially feeds itself. Um, again, that's why all these things work in tandem as opposed to separate, And I'm still kind of like processing all of it um, and certainly will be exploring this notion further uh, down the line. But, but yeah, I mean, that's the, the, the unlock of it all is to ask yourself, you know, if I'm not present, why aren't I present? And the key is, you know, what is preventing you from unconditional self-love? I would explore that. 
Um, anyway, yeah, that's, uh, that's what I have for you. Like I said, it's been a kaleidoscope of, of stuff, you know, watching movies, making movies, starting new projects, therapy, cooking classes, you know, seeing friends. Like it's, it's been, it's been a great week, right? Um, and I think it's been a great week, not because it's, I mean, yeah, a lot, some of the stuff is out of the ordinary from my, you know, week to week routine, but really it's just being more present and having that unlocked and being like, oh wow, you know, you can find the, the beauty in, in the day to day. And that's really powerful. So that's what I have for you. Thank you as always. If you have any questions or thoughts of your own, as I'm sure you do, please comment down below or hit me up on social media. All the things that I have mentioned, I've tried to link to down in the description box, including if you're interested in my coaching sessions, right? If you feel I would be a benefit to you on a more direct level, that is available to you. Now, if perhaps you want to kind of dip your toe in, so to speak, well, that's what my Patreon page is for, patreon.com slash philspeedtech. There's various tiers of support there and, um, you know, with various rewards for that. So that's a nice way to kind of see what it's all about. Likewise, I've made mention of my creative projects, you know, the movies, the books, merchandise, and so forth. All that is available to you. And in fact, supporting that stuff does help support this because by having that be standalone, I can create more of it and thus learn and share that experience and that knowledge freely here with you to help you out. Right? That is the goal. Anyway, thank you so much. I appreciate you, and I'll see you next time.